0: Hi, and welcome to Cosmos Science Daily, where journalists at the Cosmos Newsroom report on the latest research and discoveries and explain the science behind the headline news. Today's newsroom journalist and biology graduate specialising in the human microbiome, Matilda Hansley-Davis, is unpacking whale baleen isotopes with yours truly, Dr. Sophie Calabretto, applied mathematician and fluid mechanist, who knows what the words whale, baleen and isotope mean independently, but not in a sentence like that. So (laughs) Matilda, I think let's just start from the very top. So we're talking about baleen whales. My understanding is baleen whales are the ones with the string teeth, not the bone teeth. (laughs)
1: Yeah, so that's pretty much correct, actually. Baleen whales have this feathery structure called baleen in their mouths instead of teeth. So the baleen is made out of keratin, which is the same material that our fingernails and hair are made of. And humpback whales have between 270 and 400 baleen plates hanging down from their top jaw.
0: Okay, so now I don't, I think... I think I understand how this works, but I'm not exactly sure. So my exam- my understanding is basically a baleen whale will sort of pull a whole lot of water into their mouth and that water contains krill that they will eat. And then somehow they sort of like push it back out and the krill gets stuck in the baleen. And then is that how they, is that how they catch their food?
1: Yeah, that's my understanding too. So krill are these tiny crustaceans that live in the ocean and the whales will feed by lunging through the water with a school of krill in it with their mouth open. They get a big gulp of krill in seawater and then the baleen acts kind of like a filter that traps the krill inside the mouth and lets the water filter back out. So it's a bit like how if you're pouring a cup of tea out of a teapot, the tea strainer traps the tea leaves and it it lets the water go through.
0: Okay. Now this is a weird question. It's very specific and probably no one else is interested, but is the, so the, the baleen just hangs from the top of the mouth, but it's not affixed to the bottom. But the idea is like, there's so many of these kind of strands that it all gets caught up anyway. It doesn't matter that it, they move around.
1: You know, I am not actually sure about that, Sophie. I got a chance to look at some um, cool pictures of whales with their mouths wide open that show the baleen, but I can't remember off the top of my head if it was on the bottom jaw as well.
0: Anyway, that's that can be my homework tonight. I just realized that I, I'm now slightly bothered by that. Okay, so anyway, get, let's get back to the story at hand because i like to digress with my interest in baleen. So why are scientists interested in these whales? So we know that these whales exist, um, but we want to talk about something slightly different today.
1: Yeah. So for this story, I spoke to Professor Tracy Rogers, who's a marine ecologist at the University of New South Wales, UNSW. And according to her, these baleen whales like humpback whales and southern right whales are kind of like indicator species or a signal of how climate change is affecting the marine ecosystem. Okay.
0: That's wild. (laughs) So basically by things that whales do that you're going to tell me about in a second, we can make conjectures about climate change and stuff happening to
1: the climate? Well, it's, it's kind of the other way around. So it helps us to understand the way looking at the whales helps us to understand how the climate change is affecting oh, the okay. marine ecosystem more broadly.
0: Sure. Okay. Anyway, please continue.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. So These whales, these two species of baleen whales that were looked at in the study, spend the southern hemisphere summer in the southern ocean around Antarctica, dining out on krill, as we just talked about, Mm -hmm. and then they migrate north to warmer waters to breed, and they can actually go basically without feeding for up to eight months. Like a bear? What?! (laughs) Yeah, almost. Except they're they're active, you know, they're not hibernating. They're not just shutting their bodies down. They're they're on the move. That's crazy. Okay,
0: I get hungry if I haven't eaten for a day.
1: <laughs> um, that is absolutely
0: wild. I had absolutely no idea that they could go without feeding for such a long time.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty wild and it's that's why they're kind of an important indicator species because they're so reliant on these huge schools of krill they need. You know, they're such big animals, an adult humpback whale is between 14 and 18 metres long and can weigh up to 50 tonnes, so 50,000 kilograms. So they need these massive amounts of krill within a pretty short space of time over that feeding season to then sustain them through so many months while they're migrating and breeding. So because they're so reliant on the krill, they're also quite vulnerable to any changes because of climate change to that whole uh, food system.
0: Yeah, of course. Now, so the other thing that I mentioned in my intro <laughs> was isotopes. And so there's you're going to tell me something about how isotopes are linked to the baleen in whales, which then can help us understand how climate has been affecting them.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Okay, that's crazy. Matilda tell me, tell me now. <laughs>
1: So yeah, the isotopes are what were actually studied in in this new research. And um, do do you happen to remember what an isotope is? Is that ringing any bells? For I do. I,
0: so I did last time I did chemistry. It was in high school, but I do remember that it has to do with. So essentially, you've got you've got elements, and yeah. you've got. So it's it's the pro. So it's the proton that makes it the element itself. But then you can have extra neutron so like if you have so hydrogen has one proton and then like helium has two and then if you sing the songs it's like hydrogen helium lithium beryllium. as you go up you just each you add a proton to that and then that you know so that's unique to the element but you can have m- more neutrons and that makes an isotope of that yeah. element yep
1: yeah, that's exactly right so different atoms of the same element but with different numbers of neutrons or what's called different isotopes and because the extra neutrons add mass so isotopes with more neutrons are actually heavier so they're heavier versions of the element
0: okay so what can we learn from so we know what an isotope is now what can we learn from studying isotopes in relation to these baleen whales
1: Yeah, so the isotopes get into the whale baleen mainly through the whale's diet. Mm -hmm. So certain elements like carbon and nitrogen, which are both looked at in this study, are really commonly found in biological materials. So, for example, there's a lot of nitrogen in our DNA, in proteins, Mm -hmm. carbon in DNA and proteins as well, carbohydrates, as the name suggests. So from these diet, you know, these atoms are getting broken down from the food and incorporated into the whale's own tissues and then they get preserved in tissues like baleen actually quite well and so one baleen plate that's about a meter long can contain isotopes from about 4 years of the whale's life so it's a record of what it's been eating essentially
0: so for a really poor analogy it's kind of like when you get a tree and you cut it in half and you can count the rings to work out how old it is you can work out what a whale has been eating based or like yeah, you can work out things about what they've been eating based on the isotopes preserved in the baleen.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's not a bad analogy at all. Yes,
0: <laughs> um, and so yeah, what what are these? What can the isotopes tell us specifically? So I sort of tried to say it can tell us what they're eating. You didn't tell me that. What 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 do the isotopes tell us about the diet?
1: Yeah, so it's quite interesting. So carbon isotope levels vary through the oceans. So they're lower around the Antarctic regions and they get higher as you go further north and closer to the equator. So the carbon isotopes can tell us sort of how the whales are moving and when they're moving around on their migrations. Okay. And then the nitrogen isotopes, so the heavy nitrogen isotopes tend to build up in animal tissues as you go up the food chain. So the krill are feeding on phytoplankton or bacteria. They're getting nitrogen. They're retaining the heavier nitrogen isotopes from this food and they excrete the lighter ones. And then the whales feed on the krill and they do the same thing. So these heavy nitrogen isotopes build up along the food chain. And so then this is a bit But when the whales go off on their long migration and they don't really eat for eight months, they're essentially, from a biochemical perspective, they're kind of eating themselves. (laughs) (laughs) They're breaking down their own tissues and energy stores. And then the heavy nitrogen isotope level goes even higher because it's like another level in the food chain of whales eating themselves essentially.
0: Yeah. So is that is that like, is it a bit like a camel or is it different again, kind of that camels eat their own fat stores? Or is this like they're just, they're, they're not even eating fat stores, they're just breaking down their own tissue?
1: Well, I, I'm not an expert on this, but my understanding is I think it's the same in you know any animals like humans as well under starvation oh, conditions okay. will break down our own, you know, our fat stores and eventually our muscle and other tissues if if we don't get any food to eat. So I think it's a similar sort of process.
0: Okay. So essentially we've got the carbon telling us where, we've got nitrogen telling us when, kind of thing and then as you said these isotopes are building up and it's uh, to me that sort of it remind me a little bit of i don't know if you studied this in high school but we did a thing on ddt for some reason which was that like 1940s pesticide where it's like you know it gets in the water and then it's in a fish and then like a bird eats a bunch of fish then it has more ddt and then like something bigger eats that and then we eat it and then we end up having all of this so it's kind of like that it's just it's building up as we're going up the food chain um and then i presume that that is quite useful For us, and we can discover something from these levels of nitrogen isotopes and carbon isotopes.
1: Yeah, it, it is a little bit like that in terms of the buildup of the isotopes. And so you can see the nitrogen isotope levels fluctuating in the baleen over time, depending on when the whales are feeding or fasting. Mm-hmm. And so what this study did was they looked at this isotope data set from the baleen going back to 1963, and they compared that to records of climate cycles that affect the oceans where these whales live. So one particular result was they found that whales who migrate up the east coast of Australia are quite negatively affected by La Nina events like we're experiencing this year. I was about to say, so
0: they're really having a bad time at the moment.
1: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Um, And so this wasn't really unexpected because other scientists had already observed that we see more stranding of whales in the years following La Nina, Uh and La Nina also decreases the um, concentration of sea ice in Antarctica where the whales are feeding and because the krill rely on sea ice if there's less sea ice there's less krill less food for the whales they're not doing as well okay i'm just
0: i'm just gonna stop you there less sea ice means less
1: krill yeah yeah. so sea ice is really important for krill i thought this is quite interesting as well so the krill they usually feed on phytoplankton which are microscopic marine algae that photosynthesize like plants yeah but you might remember, uh, you need sunlight to photosynthesize. So, in the Antarctic winter, when it's dark, the krill actually survive by feeding on bacteria that live on the underside of the sea ice.
0: Oh, gross, poor thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the krill can also hide from predators in little channels in the ice. Uh, so, it's, it's really important.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, so, okay, so, like, what are the implications of this?
1: Yeah, so this study really drilled down literally into the baleen <laughs> to confirm <laughs> Love it. a more direct link between these climate cycles and exactly how they affect the whales and these results suggest that as climate change continues and we're seeing more La Niña events and greater severity, mm-hmm. then the negative impact on these, you know, really awesome and massive creatures is only going to continue and is pretty sad because the humpback whale was only earlier this year removed from Australia's threatened species list. Um, they've recovered from whaling. Uh, but now they're facing this new threat that is kind of even harder to solve than commercial whaling is.
0: So they're recovering from whaling and then we smack them in the face with a little bit of climate change and, you know, traumatic la Nina events. Um,
1: yeah, so, it's pretty tough.
0: Like, so what do we do? I mean, this just to me it seems like another reason why we should, you know, there's all of these reasons why we should be paying a lot of attention to climate change and doing what we can. And essentially we're ruining everything for whales, seems like another reason too.
1: Yeah, and that's absolutely what... The researcher Professor Rogers was saying to me as well that you know it basically comes back to yet yeah, another reason we need to really work on meeting these targets to limit further climate change and even if you don't particularly care about whales if you can't get out of bed in the morning for a humpback whale <laughs> people- <laughs> Uh, She pointed out that humans are very profoundly affected by these events, you know, like increasing La Nina as well, just like the flooding and the Japanese encephalitis outbreak that you and I talked about on the podcast last week. So, yeah, everything is connected.
0: Everything is connected, even down to the atomic level as we establish today. Well. Okay. Matilda, amazing. Thank you. I'm now going to be even more worried about climate change and like a little bit sad for Wales. Um, But thank you to everyone at home for listening. Make sure to keep an ear out for our next installment of Cosmos Science Daily. This podcast was brought to you by Cosmos, a publication of the Royal Institution of Australia.